welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, your humble host and correspondent, joined in tandem by my estimable, enormously talented co-host who goes by the name of Santino Maoni, guys, back again for another great episode of Visionaries. We're going to kick it off like we always do with our words to live by. I got to choose the quote this week, and I chose a quote by Oprah Winfrey. Here's the quote, guys. If you look at what you have in life, you'll always have more. If you look at what you don't have in life, you'll never have enough. Now, John, when you hear that quote, when I had sent that to you you know, in our, in our pre-show meeting in terms of looking at our notes, what was your initial reaction to that quote, and what does it invoke in you? Uh, on first glance, it seems like your classic, is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? It really depends on your own interpretation, how you process the circumstances, everything that's around you, and how you choose to see the world. See, that's something that is actually within your grasp, your control. You have the ability to acknowledge a situation in a positive way or in a negative way and how you choose to internalize all of that is also 1000 percent your own personal decision so if you're the type of individual who examines life through a murky bleak lens then you're also probably the type of individual who never is completely satisfied. You're always looking at the things that you don't have, comparing yourself to others, the achievements of other people, when in reality, I think this goes for all of us, if we were to simply look at the facts, look at the things that we do have, we would all be in a much better state. And uh, what what about you? What led you to to select this quote from the icon, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that you said were part of the reasons why I selected the quote, because I'm guilty of this a lot too, of just kind of looking, you know, I have just people that I work with, friends, I'll kind of look at everything they have, things they've accomplished and go, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I did this, like, et cetera, et cetera. And this quote kind of put me in that mindset of, listen, you have you have to think like that that you have to just look at what you have in life and be appreciative of what you have and not constantly wonder and want something else and be like, Oh, I I wish I had this, blah, 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 et cetera. Like just be happy and be appreciative of of what you have. That's why I chose the quote because I think it was a good reminder to myself first off. And it's a good reminder to everybody that that's what you need to focus on what you have in life not what you don't have or what you can't, or even what you can't have. Sometimes there's things that you just really can't have and you may want it really, really badly. And that's just going to put a damper on the way that you perceive the world around you and just your life in general. So just be appreciative of what you have and what you can't have. That's what's important. And that's why I chose the quote. And this goes to a larger theme that pervades over the life cycle of this podcast which is sometimes there's a tendency to reflect on, oh, I have this visual impairment or 
I can't hear exactly, or I have any number of ailments and focusing exclusively on those and the limitations that are imposed by those when in reality, again, if you actually were able to pull yourself back, evaluate the facts, you would oftentimes see that you actually have a great deal more than you might believe at a first instinct. So be positive, evaluate things from a glass is half full perspective. And uh, we believe, and so does Miss Winfrey, that you'll probably be a lot better off. 100%. Moving on to our next segment, though, John, you got to select the latest inductee into our Handprints Hall of Fame. Let myself and the audience know who we're going to be inducting this week. So this week, we're going to be inducting a first for visionaries. I don't believe that we have, as of yet, inducted anyone in the medical field. Well, today that changes as we are inducting one Jacob Bottelon, Dr. Jacob Bottelon, to be more specific. The gentleman was born in 1888 in the Midwest region of the United States, and he's renowned for being the world's first certified physician. He specialized in lung-related ailments as well as problems with the heart. But this was a guy who fought through a considerable amount of obstacles and ultimately has an enduring legacy as the world's first fully certified physician. Now, we have to imagine if anyone has ever read books, novels, or even non yeah, nonfiction books from turn of the century or the first couple of decades of the 20th century, you'll know that advanced medicine was not the order of the day. There were countless reasons and countless points at which I'm sure Jacob Bottelon could have folded up shop, could have decided to turn back, eschewing his true destiny as the world's first fully certified doctor. Now, Dr. Bottelon, unfortunately, didn't have a really long life. He did pass away at the age of 36. But in those short 36 years, the amount that he was able to accomplish, staggering in terms of its scope. And look, there always has to be a first person. There always has to be a uh, proverbial Neil Armstrong, if you will. And when we talk about blind physicians, this is where the conversation starts. And I was just completely blown away when I read about his achievements and thought that he was a perfect candidate for enshrinement in our illustrious Handprints Hall of Fame. I 100% agree with, you know, all the reasons that you selected him to be in our Handprints Hall of Fame. And a big thing I kind of want to reiterate, too, is that, you know, we, we've, we, we've taken, you know, a- athletes that have competed as Paralympians or have competed in adaptive sports. Like we've had multiple athletes from Hansel Emanuel. We've had Zion Clark. You know, we've had a lot of people that that 
compete in sports despite having disabilities. Like you said, this is the first that we've ever had to be a certified physician is what is what you said. I believe don't correct me if I'm wrong, but the first person to ever do that while having a disability, that is monumental. And again, that that's what we strive for in terms of inducting somebody into our handprints hall of fame. We want to highlight people that have achieved something that we would have never thought was possible. Or even they at one point may have never thought was possible, but they're, thriving and succeeding and doing something again that would be perceived by the by the public and outsiders as virtually impossible but they're proving them wrong and they're showing them that anything is possible that's what you you want to see for our handprints hall of fame inductions and this inductee exemplifies that to a t definitely and jacob bottlon while again he only lived to be 36 years old but in those 36 years the amount of life experience and first and foremost achievement uh again is really astounding so congratulations to one dr jacob bottlon care of the city of chicago you are the latest to be inducted into the handprints hall of fame Phenomenal choice for an inductee this week. We're going to move on to our next segment, Profiles and Courage. So like John always says, we sometimes like to have a guest on the show or John and I will engage in a nice discussion about just different topics that we want to talk about. So for this week, I chose an interesting topic, I think. So we have a segment, Respect and Representation in the Media, where we talk about how We talk about how the disabled community is represented in pieces of media, whether it's a TV show, a movie, if it's a play, a book, whatever the case may be. But now I want to talk about how the disabled community is represented in terms of behind the scenes, in terms of getting jobs in production, in working in the media industry, but behind the scenes. So, John, I'm curious your thoughts on this this topic, because I wanted to get a different perspective because I have my viewpoints a little bit from being in ability media, but I'm curious your thoughts on this. So I think that there need to be programs in place, initiatives that companies put out into the world in order to make this type of situation a thing of the past where, you know, the blind, uh, sorry, the employment rate within the visually impaired community, unemployment rate is, hovering just over 75%. That's a considerable amount of individuals cast aside, left on the sidelines because people feel that they can't see and thus are not capable of doing whatever job. Now, as we've discussed, there are some jobs that perhaps the visually impaired community uh, not completely suited for. I always bring up the example of being an airline pilot, something along those lines, um, a train conductor, that type of thing that really requires visual assessment at the drop of a hat. But when we're discussing the entertainment industry, media, creative products that are dispersed into the world, we certainly can and should have more representation behind the camera and if we're sitting here in the year of our lord 2022 
if we're still having issues with this, well, then things have to change. And the quickest way to make a positive change usually is for there to be some type of a program, an initiative, an incentive that provides companies with a either financial reason or a public relations reason why they should be hiring uh, folks that do have disabilities that they might previously have overlooked. What are some of your kind of initial thoughts as somebody who does work for Ability Media and um, the things that you've seen and uh, your perspective here? Yeah, I agree with you about the fact that there should be some kind of initiative and maybe some kind of training program. I just picked the topic because I just became more aware of it after joining Ability Media of how underrepresented they are, the, the, the disabled community is in terms of having jobs working behind the scenes in the media industry. And there are plenty, wow, that was a bad voice crack, but there are plenty of different um, plenty of different jobs that the disabled community could definitely have. I mean, and, and Dave Stevens, the director of Ability Media, he truly personifies that because not only has he worked in front of the camera, he's worked behind the camera, he's worked in editing, handling live shows. Like Dave Stevens is the poster child, or, or, you know, just, I, I say poster child, obviously he's, you know, grown man, but it's obviously the expression of he is the poster child for what, what can be achieved in the media industry. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was because of how ability media made me so aware of this, I guess, if you want to call it issue or just not, not maybe not an issue, but just something that needs to be rectified and it shouldn't be, um, it, it, it shouldn't be such a disparity in terms of how many people in the disabled community are able to find jobs within the media industry because there are, trust me, there are so there are so many different jobs within the media industry, so many jobs that are available, and a hundred percent the disabled community should have opportunities and access to those just like everybody else. That's really why I wanted to talk about it. So let me ask you a question, Santino. Do you think that a fully blind person could direct a film? <sighs> Could they direct the film? See, I think they may they, like they may need people there to help them out, but I don't see why not. Like, like, do, do you think it's possible or no? No, I do. And I thought about when you proposed this topic. I thought about um, this C minus D plus movie from the early aughts. It's called Hollywood Ending. Uh, it's a Woody Allen movie with uh, Taya Leone. A number of other luminaries are in the cast. And in the film, he portrays a director who has a temporary bout of blindness. So the whole movie is predicated around the idea that this guy can't actually see. So, of course, there's no way he would ever be able to direct the film that he has been tasked with directing. Forgetting that film crews go several layers deep, particularly on larger scale projects. So you have your second unit director, your assistant director, your cinematographer, you have a veritable extended cast who all work to ensure that the shots come off correctly, that the camera is placed, in the right setting, capturing the shots that were intended. I do believe that it's 100% possible. Actually, this week, 
my wife and I were evaluating some potential book covers for uh, a, a book that uh, I wrote that is going to come out later in the year. And we were down to six different candidates. And she went through and explained how each cover actually appeared. So I was able to make a thoughtful, engaged decision about that. And that's something that I feel like would have been a poorly sketched uh, sketched out joke in a Mr. Magoo movie like 30 years ago. Oh my God, a director, a blind director, helming a film, impossible. But why? It doesn't have to be impossible. What are uh, visually impaired folks, mm, do they not possess an imagination, uh, creativity, workarounds? And it's not just directing, although that was the example I cited here, but for a number of these positions that go in to making television shows, movies, scripted fare, documentary fare, there are a number of roles that not only blind people, but disabled folks all across the spectrum can perform at an extremely high level when I think there's a bit of a stigma at this point. And yeah. I mean, we as a society need to push through that stigma. So where do you sort of see maybe some areas that we could have more representation from the disabled community behind the camera? I think it's mainly in terms of production. I think that just like working, you know, not not even just for the blind community, but like people that maybe, again, like Dave Stevens were born without legs, things like that, like there are plenty of opportunities out there to work behind the scenes as maybe an editor, you know, put, put, putting together like promo videos or just, 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 just editing together scenes from a movie, stuff like that, being on the editing team. There are so many different opportunities, so many different areas where they can get involved, handling mics, handling equipment. Like there are different aspects that people can get involved with. And I genuinely, genuinely think there's no reason going forward why there should be such a lack of representation, especially behind the scenes in terms of the media industry when it comes to the disabled community. There should be no, no big lack of representation because there has been, and I'm hoping going forward, we will see it kind of deep. We, we will see that not be the case going forward and we'll see the disabled community being able to get more and more opportunities. And hopefully there's more organizations out there like Ability Media that are pushing for that. What we're fighting against is hopelessness, really. There are uh, an almost incountable number of folks in the blind community and other disabled communities that feel once they get that diagnosis, once they're told, hey, your vision's not coming back and go on your merry way, as it were, that they are basically receiving something akin to a death sentence that they're going to be reduced to existing in a room somewhere for the rest of their lives. So we are trying to fight that, prevent that from being the case, prevent people from feeling like that, that isolation, being alone, feeling as though you've got no future and no hope. And companies need to put in different parameters by which they can accept and initiate 
disabled members of the community into their workforce. The same goes for behind the camera work as it does for in front of the camera work. I mean, we've talked over the course of this podcast about a show such as In the Dark, which cast a non-visually impaired actress in the role of somebody with retinitis pigmentosa dealing with blindness. Now, as folks have advocated for people with disabilities to be featured in front of the camera, the same has to be said for the opposite side, behind the camera. It's just as important because there are far more folks that would be inclined for jobs, yes, as production assistants, production designers, choreographers, et cetera, et cetera. All of the little roles that you don't necessarily see when you sit down and pop on Netflix, just as important as the actors themselves are the people that make the productions possible. 100%. And I, I think we kind of agree that we, we just want to see more opportunities for the disabled community, see them working in bigger roles behind the scenes. But we're going to move on to respect and representation in the media, funny enough. Um, my question to you is, John, what are we going to be looking at today? What movie did you pick for us? Well, I wanted to take a look at certainly one of the most acclaimed films of the last 15 years. One of those movies that people will be watching decades from now, one of the ones that really emerged from the pack, an Oscar-winning production, a gigantic blockbuster, a cultural and critical phenomenon. We're going to be looking at Jordan Peele's 2017 instant classic, Get Out. And for those of you that have seen the film, because... At this point, most people have seen Get Out. You might be thinking, why is that a topic for visionaries? Well, I'll tell you. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film and you don't want anything spoiled, uh, then you know, flip ahead a little bit. But there is a subplot involving a blind person who desperately wants his eyesight back. So desperately, in fact, that he's willing to take the eyes from an unwilling participant. In this movie, it's Daniel Kaluuya's Chris, who is I mean, kidnapped, tortured, and when he is figuring out exactly what has happened to him, it's the voice of a blind person that he's actually met who comes to tell him that, hey, nothing personal, I need your eyes. Now, I remember walking out of that movie thinking, man, why they gotta go there? Like, why they gotta cast the visually impaired community as, as a pseudo villain here? What were your thoughts when I suggested Get Out for discussion on, uh, on our segment here? First off, I was like, wow, that's a phenomenal movie because I've seen it many times before and I absolutely love the film. Um, I was a little bit confused at first as to why you chose it for Visionary, same as some of the listeners might have. But then when I watched the film, I, wa I rewatched the movie again, I understood it. I, did, I do feel where you're coming from, though. I understand that 
you know, by putting them in, by putting the disabled community and the blind community in as kind of a villain, or I guess, like you said, pseudo villain in this film, it was a little bit of an interesting choice. Um, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm curious though, did you think that the way they went about it was bad or just the fact that they were in there as a pseudo villain was kind of unnecessary? Like what, what was your, what were your thoughts on that? I just don't know that it was ever fully thought out uh, for a writer director as considered as measured and as intelligent as Jordan Peele. It seems like at some point someone would have gone, well, okay, I understand from a plot standpoint why this makes a great deal of sense. However, what we're sort of doing here is by saying this particular blind person would stop at nothing to get his eyesight back. Um, we could then maybe go a step further and say that, well, okay, so he's a stand-in for blind people writ large and all blind people are so desperate to see that they don't care how it actually happens. They'd be willing to participate in such a wicked scheme as the one that takes place in the world of Get Out. It's that thing that we've discussed in the past where, okay, I'm 36 years old. If I were not a member of the visually impaired community, I can't think of a time where I just sort of met a visually impaired person over the course of my life in just everyday life so that folks who don't have a relationship with the visually impaired community, they haven't met someone who has a visually uh, a visual impairment, they might see this type of character and go, oh no, wow, all blind people are probably like that. And they're all, they're all so desperate to see that they'd be willing to take the eyesight of an adult who did not volunteer to be put in that position. It's just, it could be the type of thing where maybe after the movie, you'd want to have like a discussion with somebody about it. In particular, I would, I suppose, worry for children seeing this as, okay, if they watch this movie now, will they, even if it's in the deep recesses of their mind, back of their mind, they're holding this belief that blind people, yeah, are just, will stop at nothing to see again. That's a little bit dangerous because then it turns blind people into dangerous kind of bloodthirsty folks. And uh, that is absolutely not the case. And this is a particular one-of-one situation where, yeah, in the moment, right after I saw the film, walking out of the theater, I thought, wow, okay, for folks who don't have a relationship with the community, mm, is that dangerous or, I don't know, am I overreacting? Do you kind of see where I'm coming from here? What are, what are some more of your thoughts? You're not overreacting. I think it's a very interesting um, angle to take because I've not, not even just interesting in the way of like, oh, it might be wrong. I'm just saying I've never heard anybody take that angle before or mention anything like that from this film. So I, I find it very interesting to hear for the first time. I don't think you're overreacting though. I think you are, you're valid in most of the points you're bringing up because we've talked about this and alluded to this kind of thing in other films before on this segment. We don't want the blind community or the disabled community. We don't want people watching these films to then think, oh, that you know, they'll stop at nothing to get their sight back, or you know, 
like in the movie um don't breathe like we're, we're almost like portraying them as like portraying them as these almost like evil not evil but just very very i don't know i don't know what word to use it's like outside I can't morally compromised yes put it that way that's a that's a good way to say it it's just you don't want to portray them that way and again people who don't have a relationship directly with the disabled community or the blind community more specifically they could maybe take that the wrong way so i understand 100 percent where you are coming from and in particular with this film because okay this is a movie that is of great cultural relevance one that featured the line I would have uh, I would have voted for Obama for a third term in its trailer. So we know that this is a movie that plays with this idea of white people and their feelings toward African Americans. So we're already in a heavily charged racial landscape. So because we're in a heavily charged racial landscape, it would then stand to reason that we're also in a heavily charged environment when it comes to other areas that people are judged by or categorized by i.e the blind community the same would go if let's say daniel kaluuya's uh chris character woke up and he were missing a pair of legs and then he heard a voice and that voice started to say listen nothing personal but uh i needed your legs i was born without the use of mine and you go wow okay so they're turning folk they're turning amputees into one of the bad guys here and that's yeah as i say maybe it's a stretch fair enough it's probably why we haven't heard uh, folks talk about it or thought pieces put out into the world concerning this topic but definitely as a member of that community and i'm not someone that gets offended easily after everyone clapped at the end of the film i walked out and said to my friend man they cast the blind community in, uh, in kind of a bad light there made them seem like bloodthirsty animals who will stop at nothing and unchecked that type of stuff can get into the culture particularly for younger folks and without those discussions that i alluded to can even if it's in the deepest darkest corners of one's mind where they put that kind of information it still can play a role in how blind people are treated so yeah it's an angle that i've never heard discussed when it comes to this movie and from the first time i saw it it was one of the points that that really stuck with me you know, I agree. Definitely an, an interesting perspective to bring up. But we're going to move on to our final segment, Connecting the Dots, where, as always, John will tell myself and the listeners a story from just his life, his experiences, and tell us about something that he's experienced, you know, just living in the world being blind. So, John, what are you going to talk about today? Well, when I uncovered the story of this week's inductee into the Handprints Hall of Fame, Dr. Jacob Bottolin, couldn't help but think about my own experience with doctors, physicians, people in the medical field. Now, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, I was told point blank by a doctor when I received my diagnosis that I was going to be completely blind by the age of 35. 
And that was something that stuck with me, hung around, was a real driving force for many of the decisions that I was to make in my 20s and early 30s. I was always fighting against what I perceived as something of a death sentence, to be perfectly candid. Now, I'm 36 years old, and that hasn't completely come true. I can still tell light from dark and make out things here and there. Point being, the diagnosis didn't turn out to be correct. And I put an inordinate amount of faith in that doctor's words. They hung with me for over a decade. They were instrumental in how I evaluated the course and scope of what my life was to become. You know, I was told, oh, you want to be a sports broadcaster? You want to be the next uh, Bob Costas, Brent Musburger, Joe Buck, etc." That might be difficult because you aren't going to literally be able to see the events transpiring on the field. And when he made that point and followed it up with, look, you're probably going to be completely blind by the age of 35. So prepare for that eventuality. I really took those words to heart. Every single day I thought about that. Couldn't help it. I used those words. I used that diagnosis as motivation to do experience, see everything in life that I'd ever wanted to see, experience, etc. before the age of 35, because there was this artificial deadline that was put into place when I got the diagnosis. And with the story that we discussed earlier of one Dr. Jacob Bottolon from Chicago, the amount of people who told him, oh, you can't do this, you're blind. You, you can't be a doc. You wanna try to treat somebody's lungs? You wanna work on their heart? You can't see the heart. This is not uh, your station in life. Maybe consider something else. Well, he fought through that, created a precedent so that physicians dealing with visual impairments that they could indeed enter the medical field. Well, just like Dr. Jacob Bodelon, fighting against the odds, persevering, battling through an incalculable number of doubters, that's what I felt like I had to do in order to get out of life what I wanted to get done. People told him it wasn't possible. People told me blindness is imminent. 35, we're done. Let's call it a day. And that turned out to be incorrect. So sometimes the wisdom that we think we're receiving can be incorrect. We don't always have to go with, you know, it's the type of situation where maybe I should have gotten a second opinion. In hindsight, it's probably what I should have done, or I should have asked more probing questions to really get at what led him to make that diagnosis, that prescription of blindness at 35, rather than merely accepting it on face value and because it came from a doctor. And even though someone in an official capacity 
told me in very explicit well, um, in language that was impossible to misconstrue that this was my fate, that turned out to be incorrect. So sometimes working theories can lead you astray. The wisdom that we receive from those in power, in higher office, in front of us, in whatever we're trying to do in life, it's not always correct. And sometimes battling through the odds means doubting the experts. Yeah, that's a phenomenal story. And I think that it's, again, just that, that, that overarching theme that we have through a lot of our episodes on this podcast is fighting through the odds, continuing to fight and do what you, and do what you think, or, or sorry, do what a lot of people think you can't do. And just knowing within yourself, all right, this is what I want to do. And just going out and doing it. It, it, it. It's not allowing other people's comments and I guess opinions and thoughts to get in the way of what you want to do. Am I, am I wrong? Cause that, I feel like that's a, that's, that's a, I think an overarching theme in every single one of our episodes and through the life cycle of this podcast, but I feel like it's being reiterated here once again. And I love that we always have that. We always manage to get that theme in indirectly and almost subconsciously without even planning for it. Exactly. So like the folks who told Dr. Jacob Butlin that he couldn't do it. And the people who told me that I was going to be blind at 35, sometimes they're wrong. Basically who says, Sure, you're in uh, an educated position. This is an educated guess, basically. So do with that what you will. And yes, oftentimes a second opinion can be helpful. And fighting against that diagnosis or what folks believed was possible is really going to ultimately be the best medicine for folks. Most definitely. Phenomenal way to close out this latest episode of Visionaries. Thank you guys so much for listening. Go follow us on Instagram at visionaries underscore podcast. If you have a topic you want us to discuss, if you want to just shoot us a message, feel free. We are always happy to hear from you. any of you guys. Again, on Instagram at visionaries underscore podcast. You can hit the link in our bio on Instagram. Go listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All, all 20 of our episodes are going to be up on there, so you can listen to any episode you want. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of Visionaries, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, talk soon.